Welcome to Compassionately You. Here, we host conversations in vulnerability and hopes to help and motivate others. My name is Brie Luganville and I'm your host. I love to have different guests on to talk about a personal journey that they went through. Sometimes it focuses on internal growth. Sometimes it does focus on body image as well and how that affects our overall being as a person. Thank you so much for being here today. Good morning, everyone. This is Brie of Compassionately You, and today I have Dysa Horner here. She's an independent representative of Primerica Financial, but she's also a heart-centered entrepreneur. Um, she's been extremely kind to me as I've gone through my journey as well. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about why you went into the financial realm. Yeah, sure. So. I actually went to Grace Bible College for human services, which is basically social work, and for a variety of reasons decided not to go down that route. The nonprofit realm was going to be too much desk work for me. I can't sit in front of the computer all day. And then the social work realm, you know, there's just a high burnout and I didn't even know what I wanted to do and a lot of the hours didn't align with what my husband was doing at the time. But so I ended up at Starbucks, through Starbucks, learned about finance got really interested in it, but was just finding a lot of companies cater to the wealthy. And Mm -hmm. I come from a family who, you know, they couldn't have afforded $200 an hour to sit down with a financial planner. They couldn't have afforded $1,100 to have a plan put together for them, let alone implement it. And so looking into the field, I just wasn't quite sure if I was going to fit somewhere or where I was going to fit. But probably like six months into looking into things and trying to find my place, um, someone from college reached out and was like, hey, I heard you're interested in finance. You know, I think you'd really like the company I'm working with. So got introduced to Primerica and we are focused on education. We don't charge all those additional fees. So it was just everything I was looking for in a company. I just didn't know was out there. And so it's been just over two years now that I've been doing that. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, and you're giving a presentation, actually, at Unleash Your Heart. Yeah, this Monday, um, Aubrey invited me to, we're actually going to focus on budgeting and debt, and then also the emotions that tie into finances, because that plays a huge role for everyone with their money. It's definitely an emotional topic. Oh my goodness, yes. Mention finances, and usually we just kind of close up. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's so funny. Um... So, yeah, tell us, let's talk more about the emotions maybe associated with money. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so just to, for some context, I guess, in my own personal life, like I mentioned before, you know, grew up in a family who, you know, come to find out years later, my dad actually made pretty decent money, but we didn't live like that. And my parents just made lots of financial decisions that they're trying to do good things for us as kids, but they didn't set themselves up financially. And so mm-hmm. I think that's where the emotion of it comes in too, is you want to do these good things, and so you're inclined to spend your money on those things, 
but you have to balance that with taking care of yourself financially. And, you know, in my own personal journey, part of what made me passionate about finance is my father passed away when I was almost 13. I was the oldest of four. My mom was a stay-at-home mom since I had been born, no college degree, nothing to fall back on, and, you know, they had made somewhat poor financial decisions before that, and so now she's left with all those decisions that had been made. But also my dad was the one that, one, brought in the money, but two, also dealt with the finances, so now she's left to figure out how to pay bills and to figure out what to do with the money that she has and how to spend it wisely. And, you know, thankfully my dad did have a life insurance policy, so that helped our family get by and helped my mom do some things. But she, even with that, you know, talking about emotional, Mm -hmm. you've just lost your husband, you have four kids to take care of, and now you're given this huge check and in the midst of this tragedy you're expected to know what to do with it Mm -hmm. and so she she used it for some good things that we needed but if someone would have come beside her and helped her understand you know more long-term thinking what to do with that money she'd just be in a way better spot but it's not common in the finance industry to get that education generally you know a life insurance agent writes you a policy and then that's the only role they're going to play in your life Um, So with us, what we do, we really look at the whole picture, and if something like that happens to one of our clients, we're going to be by their side helping them in a time that's really blurry and hard to get through in general to understand what to do with their money and how to move forward. So, you know, that's, that's a very specific instance, but it just goes to show, you know, how much in certain times and emotional moments money plays a huge role in your day-to-day life. Yeah, and so it's looking at then how do we educate even at like a young age? Mm -hmm. How do we educate at a young age? Is there, like I'm trying to think back to like economics class or I remember fifth grade we learned how to write a check. I guess that's (laughs) going to be kind of obsolete now. Right. But uh, different things and I don't really remember learning about how to budget ever in school. I don't know if that means schools should start doing that but everybody has a different system at home mm-hmm. and so it's hard because it's left up to what we our parents might have learned in the past and all of that and there's yeah. not really that education part outside of the home right and if you didn't grow up in a family who taught you you're kind of just thrown into the world and then you just figure it out as you go yeah <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I think that it's great that you're bringing that education in a way, and it just sparked me thinking about how, man, it'd be great to just teach kids besides just, you know, this plus this equals this many <laughs> quarters. Like, well, what do I do with those quarters, right? Mm-hmm. How, yeah. how do I function with this? Um, yeah, that's really interesting. And... Yeah, another part, I'll share a small story just to relate as well. I think I had shared this with you before when we met, just about budgeting. Um, My parents grew up and we had an allowance, but that allowance had different parts to it. So we had, this is your checking, basically, then this is your savings, this is your, we did like 10% tithing or donation to our whatever we wanted to animal shelters usually where I did it okay and then taxes 
they actually took back money from our allowance to be like, hey, oh wow, you're ta- you're gonna get taxed in the future. Super unique, very interesting, and I it helped a little bit. I definitely learned a lot, but yeah, just relating and there's there's my little part of that, and everyone has their own part. So, you told us more about why you really did what you did with your story, but what have you seen come from your work? Yeah, I mean, it's, the primary thing is hope. When we sit down with families, we're actually, you know, people can lose hope in their finances and think it's too overwhelming, and, you know, that was my mom. She just, she got overwhelmed, so she just didn't deal with it, and that's actually the majority of people that I sit down with. They just see it as really intimidating, and so when I'm sitting down with families and we're laying it all out there, we're showing them where they are, where they want to be, and how we can help them get there, it actually relieves a lot of stress. You know, most people are like, oh, I just don't want to see where I'm at, but once you see it, you know, and with that knowledge comes control and power over it, and so showing people that, um, I mean, that's the primary thing is just the hope we bring to people. And showing them that system so then the emotions can, they're always still going to be there, but then when emotions happen, there's something else to fall back on. Mm-hmm. There's something of comfort that's like, okay, these are the steps and these are the things we need to do. Yeah, and I would say, you know, with your story, with your family, how they did that, hopefully once you have a system in place and you just know what you're doing, hopefully you can counteract some of those emotions that come with like, oh my gosh, I want this new thing, or I don't. You know, it's sometimes it's hard for people to give their money, but knowing just like, okay, every time I'm going to donate 10% of whatever cause I want, it's just set. It's just you're going to do it. It becomes habitual, yes. really, and that's where forming those habits helps take the emotion out of it so that you can make better decisions long term. And then it's a better emotional support for the right. whole yourself, family, anybody. Yeah, I mean, the first step is always looking at what you're spending, how you're spending your money, maybe just for a month, keeping track of all that. And then from there, secondarily, you can put guidelines on like, okay, we're really overspending with going out to eat. So we're going to limit that to $100 a month or so much money a week. And just start putting limits on it that are still doable, that don't make you feel trapped. But so it's, it's not like, oh, we just feel like going out to eat. So we're going to go spend 50 bucks on a meal. You have those guidelines where you can kind of fall into and start forming those habits that we were talking about. All right. And then we sometimes talk a little bit about body image journeys too. And I think that finances as well as just personal journeys can all be tied in together there. So um, Disha wanted to share a body image journey as well. And so tell us a little bit about what you have been through. Yeah. So... When Brie and I have talked in the past, I forget what age is it that you say normally kids start experiencing those kind of thoughts. I think now, I'm probably going to quote it incorrectly, but I feel like it's around age eight. Okay. So. Yeah, that sounds familiar with about what you said. And so when we were talking, um, something I'd just been realizing about my childhood was starting, you know, in preschool, which I was a little old for preschool, so I was probably five But I remember looking at my teacher and seeing something about her body that I just was like, oh, I never want to 
I never want to be like that. And thinking back is just crazy because I'm five years old. Like, where are these thoughts coming from? And, you know, I grew up in a family where my mom struggled with weight. And so I think she just verbalized a lot of her own struggles. And I've also learned in a variety of other ways that as a child, you just kind of internalize those things. And, for example, she didn't like to exercise. So I thought, I remember thinking in sixth grade, like, oh, exercise is horrible. Like, I don't like to exercise when in reality... I didn't really have the personal experience to say that. It was just, I just thought I knew. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it started really at the age of five for me, just being very conscious of my own body. And it didn't really pose problems. You know, I have very few memories of struggling up until the seventh grade. I do remember in fourth grade thinking, I'm too skinny. I need to start eating, Mm -hmm. like, two hot dogs every time. Or, Yeah. yeah, like, I just need to eat more. I don't know why that one's kind of funny memory I have, but uh, starting in seventh grade, you know, I don't know how much my dad's death is tied into this, but I went from being probably like 90 pounds in sixth grade to 120 in seventh grade, which is the time my dad died. And I don't know, you know, how long it took me to gain that, but I just remember started being a little self-conscious, like feeling like, oh, I need to like suck in my stomach as I'm walking around so I don't look pudgy or whatever even Mm -hmm. though obviously yeah I was still very thin but Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my own mind I wasn't and so from there that's where it was a pretty consistent thing on my mind and it didn't I don't think it overtook me or anything like that but you know I started running and so that helped but I think running I saw it as this is what I'm gonna do to not gain any weight And I have to do this in order to, basically it was all about my weight for me because I grew up in a family who, both sides of my family are overweight, um, struggle with type 2 diabetes, just not great eating habits, and slowly my cousins are quite a bit older than me, just saw my cousins gain weight as well, and I was just like, I just don't want to be that. It was just this really... I think my weight was attached to my self-worth, and so during high school, just constantly weighing myself, making sure that I didn't gain any weight. When I went off to college, I was so determined not to get the freshman 15 that I actually lost weight, and I was just not eating very much at all. I was running cross-country, and I didn't... It wasn't affecting me too much, but people noticed. Like, people would make comments... My best friend and my roommate would say, like, Dice, you can eat that. It's okay. You're not going to get fat by eating this one cookie or whatever yeah. whatever it was. But to me, I was like, you don't understand. I'm not the same as you. If I eat, if I mess up for one time, you know, I gain that weight and I can't lose it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so just constantly struggling with this relationship with food and my own weight and body image and just never feeling like, I was good enough, and looking back now, you know, you look at yourself, and you're like, I was so skinny, why did I, (laughs) I shouldn't have struggled with that, but it was just an everyday reality for me, and it it was so much on my mind, I'm sure it distracted me, and that I could have maybe connected with people, I think it definitely created a barrier for me with other people, And even though people noticed it, you know, I just, I wasn't going to talk about how I really felt and the struggles I really had, but, you know, in getting to know, we were just talking about Rachel's style, Style. Style. Uh, and she brings a lot of light to eating disorders within 
athletes and that was definitely me I never would have categorized myself as having an eating disorder because I ate three meals a day you know I'd have snacks but it was very regimented and it definitely was not healthy um but I wasn't bulimic or anorexic or anything like that and somehow you know I I'm trying to think of when exactly it was um I'd graduated college I'd, so I'd ran the Grand Rapids Marathon in October of 2015, um, gotten married, and then was still in school until that spring, um, but I, I kind of fell out of running after the <laughs> marathon. I was like, oh yeah, I need a break, like, yeah. oh I my gosh. burnt myself out, <laughs> and so I started focusing more on cardio, which is, I thought I had to do cardio in order to stay thin. Um, but I found this really great YouTube channel that's free. It's called HasFit, mm-hmm. A-H-A-S Fit. And I think it's just the way they talked about it and the routines they did and just learning more myself about how our bodies work and our relationships with food that I realized I was always so focused on being skinny. Mm-hmm. And especially in my body type, like I'm someone that I gain weight in my legs. So my legs are always going to be mm-hmm. disproportionate to me in comparison to the rest of me. And I really struggled with that. But watching this channel and these people just helped me realize and instead of focusing on being skinny, I need to focus on being strong. Mm-hmm. And by gaining that muscle... It wasn't going to make me, you know, a lot of women, I think, are fearful of being oh, sure. overly yeah. <laughs> overly muscular. Um, but for the average woman, that's really not going to be the case unless you're really, really trying. And so just having that mind shift from constantly striving to be skinny, which I was never skinny enough to me, mm-hmm. to being strong, well, that was something I could constantly improve in and get stronger and see progress, whereas being skinny, it was very... You can only lose so much weight, and especially if you want to have, like, somewhat of a normal eating life. And through that, through that little mindset shift, really also helped change my relationship with food where, you know, I always thought I'd eat a really small breakfast because that was a time of day that I had a lot of self-discipline and then I'd go down Mm -hmm. throughout the rest of the day. I do have a sweet tooth, so I always made room for, like, a small little... A small little sweet... But then one of those lunch or dinner had to be a salad for whatever reason Mm -hmm. because I just, in my own head, that's how I was going to stay skinny. And then the other one could have some carbs and whatever. But just by shifting my focus, it also shifted my relationship with food where it's like, I don't have to eat a salad every day. I can eat as long as I Mm -hmm. eat within reason and just listen to my own body. I'm going to be okay. And so that was almost three years ago that I had that revelation two and a half years ago and it's just it's really freed me I don't think about I don't weigh myself every day anymore I don't have to think about what I'm eating I just eat until I'm full I just don't overeat either and Mm -hmm. you know I'm lately just as busy as we are I'm only exercising like two or three times a week whereas before that would have destroyed me mentally I had to exercise five days a week or like I would just be constantly feeling guilty and you know, I I haven't weighed myself, but I feel like I'm maintaining weight, and yeah. I'm just a lot... There's just such freedom in not being constantly caught up in how you look and how much you weigh and what you're yes. eating. and I know we talked about it before. I really do feel like our society has that ideal 
that's what you see in the advertising. That's what kids see in cartoons now. Mm-hmm. Cartoons have makeup now. Like, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And so it's, it's, like you said, shifting that focus from the mindset of, I need to do exercise to have some sort of losing a weight goal. Mm-hmm. Um, to, I want to do movement for my body because it feels good for my body mm-hmm. and it feels good for my mind. And then, like like you said, too, with the eating, you've shifted that focus from just um, having to be very controlled to, okay, I still want to eat what my body feels, so I'm going to listen to it, intuitive eating, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to have to have that as much control over that. So I really appreciate you sharing that story, and I know it's going to resonate with a lot of people. Um, Anything you want to say to people who might be struggling? Yeah, I mean, I think it really comes down to just being okay with where you are, which you hear all the time, and it's a hard, like, you can say it all you want, it's a hard thing to actually do, and like I said, for me, it was just realizing I can't keep focusing on being skinny. That's just, it was destroying me every day and feeling guilty and not letting me have that closeness with people because I just felt like I was different like I can't be the way you are because I'll gain all this weight in my head and so just find maybe what it is that you're so hyper focused on that is driving that and try to find something to shift your focus and for me that was getting strong that was lifting weights and not feeling like I had to do cardio all the time or run all the time and just focus on how to make myself stronger and so I'm sure it's not going to be the same for everyone but just putting terms to what you're focusing on and finding something to shift that focus to to help you find that freedom that is definitely attainable and it feels so much better on a day-to-day basis yeah well thank you so much Daisa for being here how can people connect with you if they would like to connect yeah so I mean I do have a website, it's, I'm trying to think, it, make sure I get it right, it's Primerica, P-R-I-M-E-R-I-C-A dot com slash Dysa, D-I-C-I-A, Horner, H-O-R-N-E-R. Um, other than that, you know, my cell phone's always a good thing, my email, which I'm happy to give to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on here. And everyone have a really good Monday, okay? If you'd like to learn more about today's episode, you can go to brelugenville.com slash podcast. If you'd like to join our private support group, you can find us on Facebook and search for the private group Compassionately You. If you would like to be a guest, you can email Bree at brelugenville at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a great start to your week.